0: Do you enjoy our podcasts help us to be able to continue creating quality content by visiting our merch store at store.another12.org you'll find some great merch there and the best part about it is that a portion of every purchase goes to support the work that we do. Welcome to Drippings from the Honeycomb, the official podcast of another 12 Ministries. We are so glad that you have decided to join us as we enjoy the sweetness of God's Word, one verse at a time. Hello and welcome to episode 14 of our journey through the book of 1 Peter. This particular verse that we're going to go over in this episode is one that is extremely meaningful to me personally. I think... The subject that it covers has been very relevant in my life and in my family's life and this is something that we don't often talk about we don't really dig into and approach as believers but it's something that we should talk about it's something that we should really dig into because it affects every true follower of jesus it's something that is virtually promised to us in the scriptures it's something that jesus says we will experience and so not talking about it, not having an open conversation, being honest about this particular issue hurts believers. It hurts the church because the topic is one that's uncomfortable. It's something that people don't want to deal with. They don't want to acknowledge that this is going to be part of their life. And so they ignore it or they try to avoid it. And the problem is that avoiding it comes at a far greater cost than welcoming it. And what I'm talking about, if you haven't guessed by now, is the issue of trials. Now, when I say trials, I want to make a brief distinction here between trials that God sends to his children to teach them, to sanctify them, to build Christ-like character qualities within them. That is distinct from natural consequences that take place as a result of sin, God can work through consequences. For example, if you are careless with your finances, then you will lack resources. This may not be directly a trial sent by God to you. It is the consequence of your actions. And God will work through those as well. But in the passage we're talking about, Peter refers to the fiery trial. This is a trial that God allows in your life It could be to prune sin from your life, but this is distinct from the consequences of sin, the natural consequences, the cause and effect that sin brings in your life. So when you think about trials as we talk about them here, make sure to distinguish trials, the fiery trial that Peter's talking about and the natural consequences from sin, that's something different. Trials, trouble, persecution, Those are synonymous with the Christian life. They are going to happen to those who are pursuing Jesus. They are going to be a part of their everyday life. Jesus even went so far as to put it this way, In this world you will have many trials, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. Now some translations will switch the word trials out for tribulation or hardships or persecution, but the idea is the same. In this life, believers will have trouble or trials, or persecution, and they will not always be from the same source. As you share the gospel, you will be persecuted. That goes hand in hand with sharing the gospel. But there will also be trials that God allows to come into your life. There will be hardships that God sends into your life, not because he doesn't love you, not because he wants you to be unhappy, or wants you to suffer, or doesn't want to see you enjoy life, the life that he has blessed you with, but because he wants you to grow in your faith and grow in your walk with him. And at this point, it would be really easy to kind of jump the gun and get into what I mean and what I'm going to talk about in this episode. But instead of doing that, let's take a step back and let's look at the passage for today and then we'll work from there and see what this all means. See why trial is such a critical part of the believer's life. In 1 Peter 4, 12, and 13, Peter has this to say. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Now let's just have a moment of honesty here. Humans love comfort. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean Humans would just rather naturally be comfortable than uncomfortable. Look at the amount of effort we have gone through in the history of the world to ensure comfort. We have built houses to protect us from the cold and the heat. We have built cooling and heating systems to heat and cool those houses to the exact temperature range that we enjoy. We have learned how to prepare good food so that we can enjoy our food and the comfort that good food brings. We have built vehicles to transport us from one place to another in speed and comfort. We are kind of obsessed with comfort. And there's a good reason for that. There's a lot of pain and discomfort associated with simply being a human in everyday life on a fallen planet. A planet where everything is dying, is winding down towards death, where every beast, every human on the planet, every plant will eventually die... And so this condition brought about by the sin that is on this world causes us a lot of pain. And so we devote an immense amount of time to avoiding this pain, to avoiding discomfort, because life hurts and we want to be able to avoid as much pain as possible. And this isn't just true in the physical sense either. We try to avoid pain in other ways. We try to avoid the emotional or the mental pain of a difficult job. We try to avoid painful relationships. We try to avoid painful interactions. We definitely strive to bring a sense of comfort to our life in every area. And this is only natural. Humans were not made to live in constant discomfort. In fact, if we look at the beginning of the scriptures in Genesis, God put Adam and Eve in a custom-designed garden, a paradise, a place where they would have every available comfort to them and where they could make every available comfort. And so God didn't design us to live in never-ending discomfort. In fact, the very condition that this earth is under because of sin is unnatural. And so it makes sense that we seek ways to, to be comfortable. However, there is a reality about comfort. There is a reality about being in a place where we're experiencing no pain, no annoyance, no discomfort, no frustration. And that is that humans really don't grow when they aren't challenged. Humans do not get better from experiencing comfort. Nobody ever got super strong by just sitting in a comfortable chair. That is never going to happen, at least not on this fallen earth. It would be great if sitting in a comfortable chair in front of a roaring fire were equivalent to working out, but it's never going to be. In order to grow, humans need to experience discomfort. We make ourselves uncomfortable by going to the gym and exercising till we sweat or we are exhausted. We play sports and strive to get better at them And make ourselves uncomfortable in doing that activity so that we will become the best at that game. So we can win. We put ourselves through strenuous mental exercises by learning new things so that we will be able to take up a new trade or make a better living or become better at some discipline. But all of these things entail discomfort. Whether it's learning, studying, striving to be better at what we're doing physical pain of exercising or perhaps training ourselves to be more emotionally tough for example maybe in the military or if we have to do a difficult job that requires us to face very difficult and unpleasant situations or sad situations and God understands this about humans of course he does because he created us he created us this way and so he understands that to grow in our faith trial will be necessary It's not that we won't grow at all if everything is going well, it's that we will grow so much more when everything isn't, because we will be forced to look outside of ourselves. Now unfortunately, in this world, the stigma of going through trial is that you must be doing something wrong. If you're uncomfortable, if you have things in your life that aren't going well, if you're suffering for some reason, well then you must have done something to bring it on yourself. And so we are trained from little children to hide our struggles, to hide the trials that we're going through. We try to keep it back, to put on a good face in front of everyone. We try to say, how are you doing? Well, I'm fine. How are you? And the reality is maybe neither person is fine, but they don't want to share what they're actually going through because that would be embarrassing or that would be uncomfortable. However, the real reality, if we're honest is that we know that most of the people that we pass on the street, most of the people that we say, hello, how are you two, and hear an answer of, well, I'm fine, are not fine. They have many challenges and struggles in their life that they're dealing with. And this is something that believers should not shy away from. Now, I am not saying that the next time someone in church walks up to you and says, Hi, how are you in passing? You should grab them by the arm and immediately vent all of your suffering to them. That's, that's not what I'm getting at. But what I am saying is we do need to be honest with one another as believers. We need to be honest because trials are a good thing. Trials are how we grow in our walk with God, and we should not be ashamed of them. James had an incredibly interesting take on trials. In the first chapter of James, he has two separate passages where he talks about the benefit of trials. In James 1, verses 2 and 3, he says, "...count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing." And then he says a little later on, "'Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. "'For when he has stood the test, "'he will receive the crown of life, "'which God has promised to those who love him.'" James' attitude towards trials is not shy away from them, hide them. His is count it all joy. In other words, when you're going through trials, be really excited about what God is doing in your life. In our modern culture, just like they did in ancient culture, We honor people who show incredible athletic prowess. We are awed by them. We see them throw a ball or hit a ball or kick a ball really far or really well, and we're amazed by what they can do. We see them run really fast or swim really fast or jump really far, and we can't imagine being able to do that ourselves. And so we are in awe of these people. Now, if we were to go see them on an average day when they're not on television competing, and we were to see them struggling in the exercise room to lift weights or straining under their 100th run down the track, trying not to fall down from the exhaustion, we wouldn't look at them and say, wow, that, that person is pathetic. They're putting themselves under all this trial and stress. I mean, why are they doing that to themselves? After all, they get paid all this money to play a game. They, they have a beautiful house that's filled with comfortable things. They should just stay home and rest on their natural talent to play the game. No, we would never say that or think that because the reality is the way that person got so talented is that they worked really, really hard. They underwent trial and suffering. But oftentimes when we see a fellow Christian really suffering, really struggling through trials in their life, we don't think, wow, God is doing a huge work in them. We think, wow, where did they mess up that God is coming down on them so hard right now? What did they do wrong that they need such a heavy discipline session from God? They need to get their act together so that they can stop struggling, stop suffering, stop being under trial. See, the logic is backwards. James says we should be looking at that person and saying, wow, what a move God is making in their life. We should be coming alongside them and saying, brother, sister in Christ, I know that it feels impossibly heavy But God is doing something in your life. Maybe what I can do is come alongside you and carry the burden with you for a while. Maybe I can be here to be a smiling face or encourage you. Or even maybe I can reach into my own resources and give to you so that you will have enough to sustain yourself and your family. God can use me in that way to bless you through this incredibly deep trial that he's called you to. And I know that he's going to see you through it. But because I love you and I love God, I want to see you thrive even in the midst of this suffering. That's the attitude we should be having. We should have more excitement, interest, and awe for the believer that is going through the refining fire than for the athlete that we admire who plays the game so very well. We should be more inspired by what God is doing through the trials in our local church body than we are by how many people in our church body are Super successful in terms of worldly measurements. There were a lot of people in the scriptures who suffered some pretty intense trials. It's pretty natural when you hear the word Bible and trial to immediately think about Job. And absolutely, he was one of the characters who experienced incredible trials. But there were so many more. How about Joseph who was sold into slavery just because his brothers didn't like him? Or Caleb and Joshua, who went with the people of Israel out of Egypt, who were faithful, who brought back a good report about the promised land, who saw that there were giants, they were just like the other ten spies, but thought, God is going to fight our battles for us. Let's go. Let's take the land. Well, when God judged the people of Israel and made them wander in the wilderness for 40 years for failing to have faith and go up and possess the land that he was giving them, Caleb and Joshua went with them. God didn't carve out a separate place for Caleb and Joshua. He made them suffer along with the nation of Israel and wander for 40 years with the people who sinned. Now, he did supernaturally prolong their youth so that they were youthful and vigorous 40 years later when the time to take the promised land came. But they still walked through that trial and God used it to grow their faith. King David We think of him as this mighty warrior, and rightly so, he was. But David went through many trials. David saw his family torn apart by violence. David was pursued by his enemies, judged by God for his sin at times. And he suffered greatly at times in his life. That's where we get these incredible Psalms that he wrote, detailing how God was faithful even in the midst of suffering. The prophets, for sure, suffered immense sufferings for being faithful to God. They suffered all kinds of trials and persecution, some at the hand of the people, some because God specifically called them to walk through those trials. And like the prophets, the apostles also suffered many trials, many of them suffering persecution and even martyrdom for the spread of the gospel. And the stories go on and on and on, and we could take forever to keep going through the scriptures and pulling people out, but Hebrews 11.35-38 through 38, sums it up really well when it talks about godly men and women who suffered trials, both through persecution and from the hand of God, so that they would grow in their walk with God. And the passage reads like this. It says, Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains of imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains, and in dens and caves of the earth. Now, of course, this little snippet here in Hebrews doesn't tell the whole story. Some of these people were also blessed immensely by God. Job was blessed incredibly by God. David was blessed incredibly by God. Noah was blessed incredibly by God. Abraham was blessed incredibly by God. But blessing and trial go hand in hand. You can be very blessed by God and also experience extremely deep trials from the hand of God. And the truth is, the more you seek after God, the more the reality is that you will experience both blessing and trial from the hand of God. The depth of Job's words in the very first chapter of the book are almost without measure when he says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away, blessed be the name of the Lord. In other words, everything that comes from the hand of God is good from an eternal perspective. And Job understood that. The point of all of this And the point that Peter is making to the Christians in the churches that he's writing to here with this letter and to all the Christians who would read this letter throughout the centuries is that believers should not run from suffering. Believers should not run from trials. Instead, they should embrace them as the hand of God working in their lives to build holiness, righteousness, and godliness. Now, I said back at the beginning of this episode that this topic was very important important to me personally. Our family over the years has endured a lot of trials. But we have also been blessed by God beyond measure. God has been immensely faithful to us. He has met us at every step of the way. He has never let us fall. He has always held our hand and brought us through the valley of the shadow of death to the other side. Even when there was loss along the way, He has given us the assurance of blessing in the future. The truth is, enduring suffering requires the believer to have an eternal perspective. It requires the believer to look beyond this world, to look beyond the now, and to see that in the future, in eternity with Jesus Christ, all will be fulfilled. Everything will make sense there. We will get to see the finished work of all of these trials when we are made new and live in the new earth but sometimes having that mindset is really complicated it's really difficult and so what i want to do is just share with you a little bit of encouragement from the scriptures because even though i may not know you personally i know this you either have experienced suffering are experiencing suffering or will experience suffering and so you know what i'm talking about you understand how discouraging suffering can be. And you understand that when you hear that verse, count it all joy, when you suffer from James, it's really easy to read it. And it comes off the tongue really easy, but it's very hard to live it. It's very difficult to be joyful in the midst of suffering, especially suffering that's going to lead to loss. But the reality is we need to rejoice in our suffering. We need to ask God to build our faith, to make us more like himself, and to give us a hope that transcends human understanding, to give us a peace that transcends human understanding. And so I want to share with you just a couple verses before we end. And some of these are really well known. So I want you to tune in to what they actually say. Not just hear a verse that you know and say, well, I know that verse. We always go to that verse. Everybody uses that verse when you know you're going through a hard time. They kind of toss that verse in your direction. Well, here's a little encouragement for you. But I want you to hear the words of the verse, and I want you to consider who actually said these things. In Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways. Acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Consider that in the very beginning of the book of Proverbs, the Proverbs are attributed to King Solomon, the wisest man to ever live. And you know what his conclusion is? You don't know. You don't know. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. And I'll tell you what he'll do. He will make your way straight. That's from the wisest man to ever live. That's his counsel. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. In the midst of your trials, in the midst of your pain, trust in the Lord with all your heart. In Psalm thirty-four nineteen, we have, Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. Again, consider the author, King David. King David knew a thing about affliction. This is the man who as a young boy stood in front of Goliath and fought him. David knew about being in trouble and being rescued by God. He was pursued by Saul who wanted to kill him for years. He saw battle after battle after battle and yet God was with him. David knew what he was talking about. When he talks about the afflictions of the righteous and God's will and strength to deliver him out of them all, David had lived it. And David also understood that if God had allowed him to die in these afflictions, that would have also been deliverance because he would have brought him into his courts. David would have been with the Lord and that would have been the greatest form of deliverance. Another passage attributed to David can be found in Psalm 91 where David says, a thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. Again, showing the eternal perspective of God able to keep the body in both this life and in the next. David understood what it was like to see men falling around him in battle and to see God time and time again rescue him from that. And he penned those words for other people to understand that God would rescue the righteous god was able to keep the righteous in this world and in the next paul would write to the philippian church during a time of trial echoing the words of jesus in philippians 4 6 do not be anxious about anything but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known to god and the peace of god which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in christ jesus Again, consider the author, Paul, a man who was stoned, beaten, thrown in prison, persecuted, chased from town to town, had so many threats against his life until finally Nero executed him. This man tells his beloved believers, his beloved church, to not be anxious about anything. Why? Because God is sovereign and he is able to do all things through his power. He can strengthen us. He can make us more like himself. He can even call us home so that we can be free from this sinful world and live with him. But even that is not a cause to be anxious. And if all that weren't enough, if all of that assurance weren't enough, we can go directly to the lips of God himself. Jesus Christ, who said in Matthew 6, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Consider the source. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was sent by His Father to suffer An agonizing death on the cross so that we might be free. And yet he's saying, don't worry about it. Don't worry about your trials. Don't worry about your suffering. Don't worry about the fact that nothing seems like it's going right at this moment in your life. Don't worry about the fact that you're facing insurmountable odds in the obedience that God has called you to. Because he knows and he is able to care for you through this trial. He is able to safeguard you through this trial. He is able to give you the grace to endure and to call you home through this trial. And you can rejoice through this suffering because God is using it to make you more like himself. So with so much assurance, why should we ever be afraid? Why shouldn't we instead embrace the reality that James said in the very beginning, count it all joy when you experience various trials. Or as Peter said, do not be alarmed at the fiery trial when it suddenly comes upon you. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Drippings from the Honeycomb. If you would like to learn more about Another 12 Ministries and the work that we are doing to train ministry leaders to bring the gospel to all people, visit another12.org. If you would like to support our ministry, click on the donate link in the description below.